On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses three Peter Gabriel soundtrack albums. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend Ken Gregory as we discuss three Peter Gabriel soundtrack albums. Alright, Ken. Welcome to Palaver for Two on Audible Night. We uh <laughs> Yeah, we called an Audible. We did call an Audible, and after and I'll leave it in the edit, because the last time we talked Peter Gabriel, we made a fairly large production about the fact that we were not going to do an episode <laughs> on the uh the soundtrack albums. And yet, here we are. <laughs> Yeah, they crept on us nicely. And I mean, you know, if you're a fan of Milton Security, you're likely to be curious about Birdie. Uh, In talking to Simon Godfrey, he put in a word for those soundtracks. And I did have some curiosity. So as this night opened up, I was thrilled to take a stab at, at some of these, not in incredible detail, but, you know, a nice gloss over. Yeah, and, and, you know, I am in no way, shape, or form as prepared as I usually am for these, and especially when you talk about soundtrack albums, because one of the things that I learned to great effect in the Pink Floyd segment is when you talk soundtrack albums, oftentimes the the movie, or the, in the case of Ovo, the experience that goes along with it, really does, you know, have a significant impact and I have seen both um, Birdie and The Last Temptation of Christ, but I saw them both years and years ago. Mm-hmm. So it, it is not, you know, I have not taken the time to rewatch them for this. Um, and, you know, I haven't spent as much time with these records as I normally would. However, I do think, you know, for the purposes of, as you said, you know, filling in an open date. I am very keen to talk about these. And, you know, there are some experiences here with these records that I'm I'm very keen to kind of relate and talk about because it's it is different. And Ovo specifically, I you know, when we get there, that was a, a real eye opener for me. I didn't anticipate my reaction to that record mm-hmm. nearly um in the in the way that it occurred so that was you know it's it's one of the great things about you know this this podcast and we talk about it you know frequently is that you get these sort of unexpected you know bonus experiences out of life that you just don't plan for and when they happen you know it's it's just such a joy so i'm uh i'm excited by this fantastic peter gabriel has four soundtrack albums birdie passion which is music from the last temptation of christ ovo 
And the most recent is Long Walk Home, which is the one that we will not be considering tonight. We will cover the other three. We'll save Long Walk Home for some rainy day when we have, you know, nothing else mm-hmm. going on and, you know, we need a nice diversion. So now I the have- first two are actual motion picture features of the traditional sense. That is correct. OVO is more of a customized video presentation for a very specific uh, museum experience. Right. And, and I think it translates a little bit differently. I don't know if it's because of that or what. And we can probably get into just a little bit about, you know, some of the, the greater context of the Millennium Dome, as it was called. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for for the, our listeners in the UK, my guess is they'll probably have all sorts of of thoughts on that. But you know, for me, uh, and we'll we'll get into that when we get there. But my my knowledge of and, and understanding of that particular structure is and was pretty limited. Uh, but from our perspective, as Gen X kids who were surrounded by big, fully produced movies with commercials and theater debuts, both Bertie and The Last Temptation of Christ fall into that. He was he was in the big leagues. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when The Last Temptation of Christ came out. I mean, there was a lot of hoopla around it, um, dare I say, controversy. And at the time it came out, you know, that was when I was, I, I guess we were in in college at that point, if I have my dates correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we would have been early on in our college career. So I don't know that I had declared my philosophy minor at that point, but I was well on the way to uh, you know just exploring things intellectually. And um, you know, I've, I've, from an intellectual perspective, I found that particular movie to be quite enjoyable and entertaining even though like i said it did ruffle some feathers but that's a different story altogether so so ken when we talk about this um and maybe we can give sort of a a an abbreviated context for these three records and maybe place them in the context of the gabriel catalog yeah absolutely I might go back a little bit further. I always test you and Paul by, 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 by digging even deeper into the timeline than you expect me to. And I, don't want, I don't want to let you down. There was something in the Genesis catalog that was quite cinematic. As early as 1974, when Peter was working on The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, oh. he was imagining things from a cinematic perspective. He worked with filmmaker William Friedkin. Right. So I, I'm drawing the, the trajectory here. Okay. I recall where, that story. Where the, the early seeds are planted, and then he gets a, a taste of it with Birdie, and then he does it for real with Last Temptation of Christ, and then he kind of finally gets his own spin on it with Hobo. Yeah. I like that. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he's always one to dip his fingers and his toes in and then to do a little bit more down the road. Specific to the timeline, Birdie includes music from 
I was going to no, say it's, and security. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in between prior. security and so, right? Right, right, right. That was an ideal time for him, particularly because it was a, a peak or a ramping up of, of this relationship with Daniel Lanois. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, 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 the humans came together, the forces came together, the probably whatever finances came together to make this happen. I would wager a guess that 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 birdie could not have happened without Daniel Lanois. I want to say the story that I think I heard or read is that Daniel asked for access to the tapes to just kind of monkey around. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of this is what came out of that. Indeed. So luckily, they made it through uh, security. They made it through this soundtrack, and they went uh, all in on so in 1986. Yeah, it's and- it's funny that this was immediately preceding the huge monster that was so right. It's almost like you tidy up what you were doing before, and then before you release the the big monster. So the last temptation of Christ. Uh, was released in 1988. Although I don't think the soundtrack was released until after the film was out. It's credited in the wikis as 89. Right. The release date of the movie was 1988. Okay. I think things moved at a glacial, glacial pace compared to our current expectations. Likely they rolled out the film, made a little bit of money, and they always thought about a soundtrack and then probably didn't dive in and get everything all printed and done until they knew it was a, a surefire hit, shall we say. I'm confident saying it was some kind of a hit because it's the only soundtrack album of Peter Gabriel that certified gold. Which of, of all the soundtrack albums, it's, it's an interesting one to have done it just because it's musically a lot different. I mean, frankly, it's boring, right? Um, it, 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 I, it, it's, I would, it's kind of... I would argue that it is not boring, but it is different. <laughs> I mean, oh, well, I, I'm sonically very dense. Uh, the quality of the instruments, fantastic. The overall orchestration dynamics, fantastic. But if you are looking for characteristics of Peter Gabriel you are unlikely to find them. That is very much correct. Okay. And then just jumping through the timeline, uh, Ovo was music for the Millennium Dome show. And I suppose y'all might remember in late 1988 and all throughout 1999, people could not stop saying the word millennium. (laughs) And and this Dome show was some kind of, public works project or cash grab or pet project, uh, depending on which political party and which perspective you took at the time. Um, but But it did serve its intended function. It happened in January through the winter of 2000. Again, there was a delay in between the event and the soundtrack. The soundtrack is listed as the 12th of June, 2000. Yeah, interesting how that always seems to happen. And so Ovo immediately preceded Up, if I recall, or was it immediately after Up? It was, I think it was recorded before Up. Up would have been released 
Oh, 2002. So yeah, it was it was just before Up. So if we look at the particulars, as we've sort of mentioned, so Birdie was released in March of 1985. It was released on Geffen Records in the U.S. and Canada and Charisma Records elsewhere. Producers are credited as Peter Gabriel and Daniel Lanois. This is the only one of these soundtracks that has a reasonable um, list of, <laughs> of personnel. And that would be Peter Gabriel on keyboards and production, John Hassel on trumpet, Ikome Dance Company on drums, Larry Fast on keyboards, Tony Levin, bass guitar, double bass backing vocals, Jerry Marotta, drums and percussion, David Rhodes, guitar and backing vocals, Manny Elias and drums, Morris Pert, drums and percussion, and John Giblin, double bass and bass guitar. The track listing for Birdie is At Night, Floating Dogs, Quiet and Alone, Close Up, from Family Snapshot, Slow Water, Dressing the Wound, Birdie's Flight, from Not One of Us, Slow Marimbas, The Heat, from The Rhythm of the Heat, Sketchpad with Trumpet and Voice, Under Lock and Key, from Wallflower, and Powerhouse at the Foot of the Mountain, from San Jacinto. Birdie is the first soundtrack and sixth album overall by the English rock musician Peter Gabriel for the movie of the same name released in 1985. The album marked Gabriel's first work with producer Daniel Lanois. It was remastered with most of Gabriel's catalog in 2002. How exciting is that? So Passion, which again is Passion is the name of the soundtrack. The Last Temptation of Christ is the name of the movie. Passion was released in June of 1989. It was released on Geffen in the U.S. and Canada and Virgin and Real World elsewhere, produced by Peter Gabriel. I will not read the personnel on this record because <laughs> it, is, it is immense, it is varied, and I would do a great disservice to many of the excellent musicians on this record. Suffice it to say, there are a lot of people who show up on this particular record. The track listing is The Feeling Begins, Gethsemane, Of These Hope, Lazarus Raised, Of These Hope Reprise, In Doubt, A Different Drum, Czar, uh, Troubled, Open, Before Night Falls, With This Love, Sandstorm, Stigmata, Passion, um, With This Love, Wall of Breath, The Promise of Shadows, Disturbed, It Is Accomplished, and Bread and Wine. Passion, re-released as Passion, Music for the Last Temptation of Christ, is an album released in 1989 by the English singer-songwriter Peter Gabriel. It was the first Peter Gabriel album to be, re be released on Real World Records. It is his second soundtrack and eighth album overall. It was originally composed as the soundtrack for the album for the film The Last Temptation of Christ, but Gabriel spent several months after the film's release further developing the music, finally releasing it as a full-fledged album instead of a movie soundtrack. It is seen as a landmark in the popularization of world music 
and won a Grammy for Best New Age Album in 1990. It was remastered with most of Gabriel's catalog in 2002. We could probably have a whole episode on that sentence um, about it winning a Grammy Award for Best New Age Album and what New Age Albums actually mean, but that's a whole... It's a whole different conversation. And finally... Well, it was nominated for Best Album of Original Instrumental Background Score Written for a Motion Picture or Television. Uh, And that would be entirely appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, but, but the one that you are quoting is a Grammy for New Age? Really? Is that the re-release or the original? I believe it's probably the original. Fascinating. And finally, Ovo, released in June of 2000, released on the label Real World, produced by Peter Gabriel. I am once again not going to list the personnel here because they are, again, not that I can't pronounce the names, but there are many of them and it is widely varied. A couple that I will point out, however... Um, and let me see if I can find them because there are two. I mean, Peter does a lot on this, but what I'm really, really keen for. Nina course, Cherry? <laughs> Nina Cherry is not one of them. No, specifically, I would like to call attention to Elizabeth Fraser. And um, I believe it's Paul Gallagher. Paul Buchanan, my apologies. Elizabeth Fraser and Paul Buchanan, who handles... Well, then I get two, and I'm crediting Richie Havens for vocals. Okay. And I'm sorry, Elizabeth who? Fraser? The list is so long, forgive me. Elizabeth Fraser is... Elizabeth and Paul do the vocals on... Um, tracks 10 and 12, which are Downside Up and I believe Make Tomorrow or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, wonderful pairing there. Yeah, they're they're so good it's not even funny. The track listing for Ovo is The Story of Ovo, Low Light, The Time of the Turning, The Man Who Loved the Earth slash The Hand That Sold Shadows, The Time of the Turning Reprise slash The Weaver's Reel, Father, Son, The Tower That Ate People, Revenge, White Ashes, Downside Up, The Nest That Sailed the Sky, and Make Tomorrow. Ovo, also released as Ovo, The Millennium Show, is a soundtrack album by English singer-songwriter and musician Peter Gabriel and his 11th album overall. It was released on 12 June 2000 by Real World Records as the soundtrack to the Millennium Dome show, a multimedia performance show directed by Gabriel and Mark Fisher that ran at the Millennium Dome in Greenwich, London between 1 January and 31 December 2000. So those are the particulars that we are talking about here this evening. It's It's a pretty varied plate that we have here to consider tonight. I need to throw in one more part of the chronology as not to catch the ire of one Paul Zotter. Oh. Uh, in the four-year span between Security and So, Plays Live came out. That was Paul's gateway drug into mm-hmm. Peter Gabriel. 
So there, there was touring, there was a live album, there was a soundtrack, and much, much to be done in the lead up to so. And yet they found time to cobble together the, the Birdie soundtrack. Now, the Birdie soundtrack, again, after 1986, when So Broke, you couldn't get away from Peter Gabriel. And by the time we went away to school in the fall of 1988 and into the spring of 1989, you know, when I was, when I was at the University of Delaware, it, you know, I, I, I met people who liked music. There were access to different CDs in either Rainbow Records in Newark, or there was a specific place in um, Wilmington, Delaware, where I was introduced and I could go and purchase import CDs. And you had access to the school radio station. I didn't have access to the school radio station until later on. I think that was my oh. senior year. But oh. but but the the point is is that you know a wider musical world was was sort of shown to me in respect to you know as I got into Marillion and and you know the you know it was looking for you know weird imports of of Marillion or Fish or the Birdie soundtrack was one of those sort of, you know, coveted items in, in this. And I want to say, I, because I don't actually have a physical copy of Birdie, so I don't think I ever got it. But someone I knew did. It may have been one of my roommates from freshman year, because I do remember, you know, hearing this. And at the time, it didn't really make much of an impact on me. And, of course, the next step was to be able to find the movie and watch the movie, which at some point I did. And, uh, you know, again, it, I remember it, even just the, the picture, right? When you've got Matthew Modine perched naked on the, the foot of a bed. It's a striking image. Absolutely mm -hmm. striking. And I don't know that intellectually I was really prepared for the subject matter and, and the way the movie is portrayed at the time. And so I, I don't have any recollection of it, you know, really wowing me in the way that, um, you know, some movies recently have that I've seen. Movies like The Life of Pi and Michael Keaton's was it Birdman? Was that the one, the last one that Michael Keaton did? That was so dramatic. Um, so, you know, I may have, I just maybe not have been ready for it. But I, I remember seeing both of these. And, you know, as a young person getting into music and Peter Gabriel, you know, the, the direct callbacks to both Melt and Security were very cool. It's like, ooh, look at that. And, you know, I think... I think the way that that Lanois sort of repurposed some of that is is noteworthy, and and, and it's an interesting sort of study in how you take existing music and you can repurpose it for something, which you know I don't know how often that normally happens, but you know when you look at something like like Birdie's Flight. If you consider that as a as a musical piece, the way that you know Lanois sort of strips out certain things, emphasizes other things, and does the editing, 
it really does create sort of this buildup of tension and, and, you know, it would be interesting to again, rewatch the movie and see how that fits. Looking at the synopsis on the wikis, my guess is I know when that happens, but I, I would just be guessing at this point. I'm struck by coming across the album cover in particular, the back cover on eBay. Oh, um, I've not seen the back cover. So, although I did not purchase this in real time as you did, did not seek out the movie, um, I've, I've tried to do the research as to what it was that people were buying. And, and let me read to you what's on the back cover. Warning. This record contains recycled material and no lyrics. <laughs> I thought that was just something that you had you had written to us. <laughs> I didn't realize it was actually written on the back of the album. Yes, that that that's the first thing it says uh prior to the track listing and specifically the references to uh family snapshot and other tunes are on the album cover as well. Produced by Peter Gabriel and Daniel Lanois. This is a real world production. That interests me only because he was using real world as his production company even before real world studios existed. And then he proceeds to uh, credit composers and musicians all titles written and performed by peter gabriel with special musical contributions from and then they list john hassel the drummers larry fast tony levin jerry marota david rhodes uh with additional material performed by manny elias uh morris pert and John Giblin, that bass player who keeps showing up everywhere. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, John Giblin, we've, we've come across him before for certain. Yeah, the Forrest Gump. Uh, <laughs> he just keeps showing up. So a very talented Forrest Gump. So it's stunning how many humans actually indirectly contributed to this. Now, Joe, did you seek out any uh, videos? Because online, I was able to piece together uh, probably a good third of the film just through you know, general clips and whatnot. It, 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 it's got um, a storyline that precedes Rain Man, yeah. where, where in Nicolas Cage is the sentient adult overseer and Matthew Modine is the incarcerated crazy man. I don't know that Nicolas Cage, when, when I read the synopsis, I don't know that, and again, I haven't seen it, recently. I don't know that Nicolas Cage is the keeper per se, but Matthew Modine is very clearly in incarcerated in some sort of psychiatric facility. Apparently in some pivotal scene, Nicolas Cage comes to see him and claims that Matthew Modine is faking the whole thing to avoid dealing with his problems. And apparently Matthew Modine's character responds to him in some very coherent way and Nicolas Cage's character then freaks out going see 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 and apparently he gets into some sort of trouble and you know hijinks ensue I know that they go to the beach and uh Modine's character loves the water 
Uh, and they, they, they generally have an adventure, not unlike a later movie called Rain Man. Right. So what did you think of this musically, Ken? I mean, did any of it strike you as different or better? I just have a Pavlovian reaction to anything close to Rhythm of the Heat. (laughs) Oh, that is totally legitimate. The only recycled material that I objected to was the under lock and key portion which is snippets of wallflower because wallflower is near and dear to me. See, it's, it's funny when I, when I listened to this for this podcast and I came across that, my take on it was that even though it's very stripped down and you don't get the full melody, parts of the melody that you do get is enough to create the picture and illustrate how absolutely beautiful that song is such that it can convey even, you know, it can convey more of the emotion of that song than is the percentage of music we're given here. But, you know, so are you objecting to the fact that you don't get the whole thing and why mess with something so wonderful? Uh, My objection wasn't intellectual and coherent. It was just an impulse where, oh, no, you don't. (laughs) Not that one. Not my wallflower. <laughs> I settled down after a couple minutes. I mean, I just, I, I, like I said, I just, I love to hear all of that. I mean, just the way they do it, right? So, oh, and what song is it? It's on Melt, the slow marimbas come from. It's the, uh, it's the creepy one having to do with someone in a mental health facility. Uh, lead a normal life. Lead a normal life. There you go. Thank you. You know, it's, it's fascinating that that shows up in here specifically and like you know some things when it starts off with at night i mean a lot of this music is you know as is said on the the thing there are there are no lyrics there's no words there's no singing per se um so a lot of it is sort of atmospheric and building mood which at night kind of does that but there's something that gets me about the the uh the drum machine pattern that they use in in at night that i just i fixate on it every time i listen to that we had similar reactions maybe to different pieces of music how, how about um the last track that uh uses san jacinto yeah well i you know kind of like you anything that is you know echoey of remotely related to the rhythm of the heat or san jacinto both of those songs are just guaranteed to just elate me in in wonderful and interesting ways and so i react to even just parts of them here excellent i think birdie's flight is is probably the best example of of how you can sort of take the different parts and and build them up in a slightly different order and and you still get that big payoff at the end with that you know sort of percussive you know finish it's it's i think it's exceptionally well done i think that is probably the best example of what of what lanois did with this with this record Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i mean it's 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 a short record there's not a whole lot to it and it is recycled material so if you enjoyed you know the last two peter gabriel albums melt and security 
you're probably going to like this. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm sure it had its cachet as, you know, sort of mood music for doing whatever it is that, you know, people were doing back in, in 1985. Pink Floyd flirted with movie soundtracks and now Peter Gabriel is, is doing the same. It, there's, there's something, I guess, to be said for, you know, these musicians making these, these movie soundtracks. It's interesting, though, the, the bands that, <laughs> that are similarly iconic but omitted from that list, it, it implies that Yes could never be organized enough to pull off a movie soundtrack or have the same members long enough to pull off a movie soundtrack. <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting, right? Because the latter, some of the latter, I'm not even going to say most of the latter, but some parts of the latter were designed to be a soundtrack for a video game. Oh, so, I mean, they got close. I don't, okay. think, I don't think the video game ever actually came out. And, you know, the music from the latter is phenomenal. But, but yeah, it, 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 it's probably a fair point. You know, of course, the other interesting thing that will just, you know, will state the painfully obvious here, because this is in 1985, and of course in 1986, so it came out, and shortly thereafter, I don't know exactly when it was, but Say Anything came out, the classic John Cusack movie that took an already huge um, album in So and made it even bigger with the inclusion of um, In Your Eyes in that, in that movie. So it opened up Peter Gabriel even more. Now that's not... Three years after the fact. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, do you remember how huge that, that whole, that movie was and that scene was and... Like, I think every, you know, young woman in the world just melted at the sight of that whole thing. Yeah, vaguely. I don't know that I was actually seeing movies so much by that point, but it was it was uh, inescapable, shall we say. Yeah, it was everywhere. So that's what I got to say about Birdie. Not a whole lot there. It's very enjoyable, very short. It's like, what, 35 minutes? You know, great stuff. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um I'm, I'm grateful for the experience. I, it won't show up in my regular rotation, but uh, it's there when I need it. I am happy to say, since you pointed out the eBay connection, that uh, Birdie is easily and reasonably available on vinyl. So I'll have to uh, have to get that to finish out my collection. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it sounds wonderful on vinyl. Which takes us to Passion. So, Passion came out. So we talked about this. This was 1989. So this was presumably after So, but before Us. I remember the movie coming out. I remember all the hoopla around the movie. I remember, you know, as I said, I was I was sort of starting to be, you know, to explore philosophical thinking and all the esoteric um, things that go along with that. And wasn't I so cool? And, and I, was, I was interested, generally speaking, in religion. I've always found the story of Christ to be a fascinating story. Whatever one, and, and I, I always consider it completely disconnected from any sort of religion. But just the story itself, I think, is, is captivating. A lot of that is probably driven by my exposure to 
the soundtrack for Jesus Christ Superstar growing up, as well as, mm. you know, attending Sunday school and doing all the wonderful suburban American things that, that mm-hmm. kids were supposed to be doing back then. Um, so I, I have an appreciation for the story, and I was really keen to sort of see this movie, not because it was, you know, controversial or taboo, but because I wanted to see how they presented it. And I'm going to draw a a parallel. And I don't know if it's appropriate or inappropriate. But for me, I think it sort of explains a lot about this album. And the parallel I'm going to draw is the, the parallel between the original Battlestar Galactica and the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. The original Battlestar Galactica <laughs> in 1978 was was very sanitized and very clean and pristine and plastic in a lot of ways. When when the reboot happened in the 2000s, I believe on on Sci-Fi, they they took the basic premise and they took the basic world and they made it much more real and gritty and dirty and you saw people sweat and you saw you know rusty old pieces of junk and you know you really got behind it and and the way that i think about the last temptation of christ and again i haven't watched it recently so it may not hold up quite as well but it was a very sort of stark what i would envision to be realistic representation of living in the Middle East in that time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, there, there's not, it, it's not sanitized. Um, and, and I think, and gosh, I hope I'm not, you know, making a complete ass of myself, but I think, and I, I have to trust Peter Gabriel here, but I think the music is the same sort of representation. I think it's, relatively genuine i hope that's the case i hope it's not you know like and i'm sure you probably know some example of some band that people think are jazz that isn't you know people who really listen to jazz are like that's not jazz at all you know i I Ah. hope it i hope it's not like that but you know it's as much in this was the first exposure to you know this type of music that you know a lot of people certainly in you know white suburban America had, I think. And I think it is striking. Like all I can ever all I can ever think about when I listen to this record is is the cover. It's it's brown. It's all shades of brown. The movie is all shades of brown. And that's what I see when I listen to this. And it feels very genuine to me. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I don't have any frame of reference. But it it comes across that way. And I find it to, so while, you know, the discussion we had at the top of the episode, you know, it, it is certainly not what one would come to expect from Peter Gabriel, but, and it's not something you want to listen to all the time, but I find it very, very far from boring. If I am in the mood for this, I find this to be utterly delightful, captivating, and transporting. Really? Okay, I did find it to be transporting. 
maybe it's the delight. <laughs> it's still heavy content. I mean, <laughs> but it's in, in, incredibly well done. I marveled over trying to figure out what was synthetic and what was real. Right? Um, it's amazing. Yes. Yes. I, I believe there are a lot of sampled instruments that pass as, 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 as real. It seems to be the best application of the uh, technology of the day. You know, that's going to, when we get into OVO, I think that's probably going to come into play here. So this was the first album that was released on the real world label, but it was, was it recorded at the studios or did the studios not exist at that point? I've got, uh, I've got the studios on the brain since obviously just before we got on air, you know, I found on Instagram that wonderful picture of the big room in real world studios. And it's just, it's such a delightful place. We had talked in a previous episode about that studio and the, the, the wonderful windows. What was unclear to me at the time, however, was the fact that that big room also has a wonderful skylight. It's got a huge window on the ceiling. It, it's just a delightful space. I can only imagine. 2,000 square feet. I mean, it, it, it's got the whole of a modest house yeah. crammed into its live room. <laughs> Okay, in 1986, when Peter Gabriel finished the album, so he decided it was time to move from Ashcombe House to a permanent recording facility. So that's when he got the idea. The mill was bought in 1987. It was, it was in fact, recorded at Real World Studios. So, so this was probably the first record to be recorded in the studio and released on the label. So, you know, I, I just find it interesting you know, when we talk about what was what was real and what was sampled, my guess is Peter probably spent a lot of time kind of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, farting around in his new space um, and presumably creating. But like I said, I, I there isn't much um, about this, you know, that I can maybe draw attention to. I will say of these hope, is is one that really does sort of stick out to me and i think the the feeling of release in it is accomplished is is palpable but like i said i just it, it it's in a lot of ways it sort of is beyond description but it's just sort of it's it's a journey i'm happy to take when i'm in the mood I'm not always in the mood Mm -hmm. But when I am, whew. I'm fascinated with the movie. So Judas Iscariot is played by Harvey Keitel. Right. And it seems like that really opened the floodgates. It's like, really? You played Judas? And then he gets to do all these really tough, mean roles throughout the whole of his uh, career. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of the the nearly naked muscled gang leader in the Grand Budapest Hotel as <laughs> <laughs> one particularly egregiously tough character. Uh, but um, yeah, playing Judas was just the, the key to all sorts of things like Reservoir Dogs, Bad Lieutenant, Pulp Fiction, <laughs> Copland. Oh, <yeah. sighs> Brilliant in uh, Pulp Fiction. 
So I, I, I had sort of steered you away from this. I mean, had you listened to it a couple times, but not really gotten into it? I gave it a pleasant listen. It just did not have those Peter Gabriel characteristics to draw me in. It's just simply beautiful soundtrack music. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a very fair assessment. If we can move on then to Ovo, because I think that statement that you just made, Ken, is a, an excellent segue into Ovo. Now, Ovo, Ovo is funny. I've owned a physical copy of Ovo for probably the better part of two years at this point. When we got into, at some point, when we knew that Peter Gabriel was going to come up, uh, I was I was going around collecting things that I, you know, thought I needed, um, trying to fill out my collection. And I picked this up. I picked up a couple of live records. You know, I was just, I was expanding out my, my Peter Gabriel. And I never listened to this. When we started the Peter Gabriel segment several, six months ago, whenever it was, um, I actually carried this CD around in my car several times. I never put it in. I just, <laughs> I had, I had absolutely no desire. It was right there. I had plenty of time driving around. I could have listened to it, but I did not. I remember looking at it in my library slash music room at my house. It was, it was on the, the, uh, the shelves that I have my LPs on. It was on top. There was a small stack of uh, uh, several CDs. It was there on, on top for a decent amount of time. I would go in, pull out an LP. I would look at it. I would not put it in. <laughs> when we were, and, and that continued. So we were getting, you know, we were, originally we were supposed to do these, um, these soundtracks. And so again, I put it in the car as, as recently as two months ago. It sat in the car for three, four weeks and I took it out without ever having <laughs> even opened it. There, there was some, there was some blockage I had about this record that I did not want to listen to it, and so when, you know, when our normal schedule got sort of um, interrupted, and you had suggested, um, you know, doing the soundtracks, and I was like, okay, and I, I couldn't actually find my copy, my physical copy of Passion, because that's, that's what I wanted to listen to. I'm like, oh, I can't wait. This is going to be great because I had to drive. I had to drive down to Brian on Sunday and Monday night after work. I drove from Brian to Austin to have dinner with my oldest son. My goodness! And so awesome, you know, quality car time listening opportunities. I couldn't find my my CD copy of Passion, but I knew where my copy of Ovo was, and it was like, <laughs> all right. Maybe now's the time. So I listened to Birdie first. And I put in Ovo on the back half of my drive Sunday night. And the first thing that comes out, I was like, what is this? Because it was not, I, I, 
you don't put in a Peter Gabriel record expecting to hear some sort of rapping. It's just, it's not what you would expect. And I was like, huh. So my initial inclination was, what the fuck is this? It is so well done. I'll say that. It's so well done. And then, so when... In, in as they're telling the story, right? And it's that's the other thing about the the story of Ovo is that it is so transparent with what's going on. There's no interpretation. There's no thinking about what is going on. They're telling you exactly what's going on. And then you have the backing vocals come in with the Ovo. And there's something I need to say about this album overall. And that is, this album is overall produced in exactly the perfect way. So when that OVO comes in, mm-hmm. and, and, and this happens throughout this entire record, they, Peter is able to get this absolutely beautiful, rich, massive, low-end that literally I could feel it moving the pants leg of my of my pants. <laughs> but in such a way that it is not overwhelming, boomy, or in any way, shape, or form seem to put my stereo system in any sort of distress. It is absolutely delightful the way that this the 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 sonic spectrum is managed on this record. So that OVO is the first part of that, right? That's like, well, that's really cool. I like that. And and very, very long story to get here, Ken. But when you talked about passion not having those magical Peter Gabriel moments, right? So you're, you put this, I put this in, and I'm listening to the story of OVO, and I'm hearing these two people rapping, and I've got this cool sort of backing vocal thing going on in this sort of chanty way and I'm like oh this is great and 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 it's it kind of pulls you in and you're excited and then when Peter Gabriel starts singing those those vocals on I guess you'd call it the chorus or whatever and it's just the contrast is so fucking dramatic and so incredibly awesome that you're like oh <laughs> and and so you know i'm i'm listening to this and i'm going wait there's there's something going on here that i i why haven't i listened to this before maybe i wasn't ready i don't know and and i kept having these experiences throughout this record and i just found it to be utterly delightful oh i'm gonna try to honor what you're saying, but also give it a dose of levity. (laughs) Um, I've been holding back throughout our Peter Gabriel series not to to tarnish the image of um, Peter Gabriel with with British television. But in 2014, there was a comedy series called The Life of Rock with Brian Perrin. And Brian Pern is just a bastard played by Simon Day. The series is written by Simon Day and Rise Thomas. There are many fantastic scenes with the manager of this artist. Uh, Michael Kitchen is the 
actor uh, who plays the manager. So for whatever reason, they decided that Brian Pern would be equivalent to Peter Gabriel. Really? But the actor looks a hell of a lot like Derek William Dick. So it, it's wonderful to see. <laughs> it's wonderful to see uh, traits of fish creep into this character as well. But there is one scene where the lead, the Brian Pern character, explains to his manager that my last album has the lowest bass line ever recorded. <laughs> and, and and the manager is completely indignant doesn't give a damn just over and over again wants him to release a greatest hits album right <laughs> and 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 this character refuses to release a greatest hits album under any circumstances so you describing this this luscious luscious bass track <laughs> blasting out of your vehicle blow, blow, blowing your clothing around it, it is wonderful or you and maybe 10,000 other fans and the rest of the world is just lusting for yet another remake of In Your Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will give you a heads up that if, if you are that shallow and crazy enough to watch this series, Life of Rock with Brian Pern, you will eventually see a cameo of Peter Gabriel. Really? Yes, you will. Yes, you will. That's awesome. And where would one find this? You will just have to interweb your way into Brian Pern. Okay. Mm -hmm. I am. I am interested. <laughs> now, in in my excitement to talk about the record, we did kind of skip over some of the context around the Millennium Dome and the Millennium Dome show. Now, again, uh, you know, the only reason I knew anything about the Millennium Dome, and it's, you know, I was, I was in London. I probably saw the damn thing and didn't even realize what the hell it was. Um, because, you know, it, that was a long time ago. But the only reason I know anything about it, actually, is from listening to the absolutely brilliant podcast, My Dad Wrote a Porno. And at one point the the main character Belinda Blumenthal shows up at a show in what is now the O2 Arena in the Millennium Dome although I believe that the the author in this particular case being an older gentleman still referred to it as the Millennium Dome and so there was a lot of conversation on the podcast about what it, what it actually should be called so that was the only reason <laughs> I knew anything about it. So in preparation for this, I figured, well, let's go see, you know, what that is because on the podcast, they sort of alluded to some of the controversy around it. And, and I think you touched on it as well. You know, it was some sort of a public's works project and the effectiveness or value of it depends on which side of the political aisle you're on. Um, it's interesting if you know, I, I, my understanding is that aesthetically it doesn't please many people as well. Uh, but it is, it's on the, the GMT line. And so it does have 12 pillars coming out of the top of this tent representing either the 12 hours on a clock or I forget what the other one was, but you know, it's, it's just, it architecturally, it's somewhat interesting and I guess it has had a very sort of checkered past. And when 
I saw something that suggests that Peter Gabriel was aware that people were not, you know, on the whole pleased with the Millennium Dome and and everything associated with it. And he apparently took this as an opportunity, as a challenge to, you know, I guess provide something for the Millennium Dome that would, mm. you know, hopefully maybe win people over. And, and I think the other interesting thing about this is as I read the story and, and tell me if you saw or read something different, but as I read the story, he was, he was approached to provide some music for this, this particular show. And he sort of said, yeah, that'd be great, but I really want to collaborate on this. I don't want to just provide music. And so he sort of insinuated himself into the, uh, into the, the whole story and, you know, this is what came out. So again, you know, the, to your point, and it was spot on to go all the way back to his his flirtations with film during The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. This is something that apparently, you know, has captured Peter's imagination for quite some time. And I, I think I'd be oh, curious. I, I'd like to quote from Without Frontiers, the book, that I've been referring to. Given the frequent thwarting of Gabriel's theme park idea, <laughs> his being involved in the dome seemed to evoke the dream he talked about since 1972. There the cross go. between Disneyland and an art gallery where the visitor goes through a tremendous amount of firsthand experiences, which would completely upturn his points of relatively relativity and put him through a series of changes that sounds like peter it really does we were asked to do something this is peter himself quoted we were asked to do something that reflects a bit of the past the present and future so i suggested we develop the plot around the struggles of three generations of a family gabriel came up with three acts the first looking at nature and prehistoric times the second, the industrial period. The third, moving towards the future, looking at the integration of nature and technology. I, I am not claiming any in-depth knowledge of the overall story. I am not claiming any knowledge of the presentation. I would be very keen, and at some point, hopefully, I'll have time to go look and see if there are sort of any videos that can somehow convey this. All I know is that this particular record that I avoided so studiously for so long has just utterly captured my imagination over the last 48 hours. And I have listened to it no fewer than half a dozen times. The most remarkable track was Father Son, a beautiful tribute to his dear father Ralph, who was, by now, in his late 80s. Quote, My dad is getting old now. I felt I hadn't really bonded with him as much as I had wanted, Gabriel said. So, since he's been into yoga for 40 years, I thought we could get a yoga teacher and go off to a hotel for a week together. It took a lot of courage internally for me to organize that, but he was very up for it. And we had a big breakthrough at one point. So I thought, I'll put this into a song, and it seemed to touch people. That's awesome. 
Oh my God! The show, which featured 160 dancers, was <laughs> was performed 999 times before closing on December 31st, 2000. Wow! Their performances covered a real range of emotions that brought the Ovo family to life. It was remarkable. A clear spot in a confused over-educational experience that seemed ultimately to be Arthur nor Martha. I, I don't know that expression or what that's referring to. I the half-hour-long show was also dogged with sound problems, frequently oh, no. drowned out by the noise of the sideshows and attractions outside the performance space, while having to battle with complaints from older audiences that it was indeed too loud for them. Really? Yeah. You know, whenever you get into mixed media and public space performances, you're you're, you're asking for trouble. So it sounds like they, they had various sideshows and performers and whatnot. Uh, everybody vying for attention. So 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 they make this dance and music very loud, and then the old people complain. I, and I can I can appreciate how that may in fact be the case, but it it makes me appreciate the the album version all the more. So did you get a chance to to go through this a couple of times, Ken? And, and I mean, did anything leap out at you, or were you like, nah, whatever? It makes me want to buy every sound library I can get my hands on. <laughs> I, I just. I, I just love the production, and I, I just love the flexibility that he has. Now, obviously, he, he, he's working with acoustic instruments and, and vocalists and everything like that, but his palette is so wide at this point. I hear something. Oh, I want that sound. I could do something with that sound. And then, then, you know, 30 seconds later, another sound that I, I want that sound. And it never ends. This is just a stunning, stunning production. It really, really is. And, and I find, like I said, I, I find the fact that Peter doesn't sing on all of it to be a little bit refreshing because it makes it all the more special when he does show up vocally. And he's not high in the mix. He's just as loud as the other vocalists. If, if not slightly in the background, but he's ever present. There's just so much here to talk about it. So one of the notes that I have um, specifically about father-son is it contains the line mantras and hymns. So if, if the progressive palaver has done nothing else for me, it has trained me to have, again, a Pavlovian response to the word mantra. <laughs> whether whether I hear a mantra in a song or if I hear the word mantra, I'm like, ooh, mantra, mantra. Really? And, and I think Father Son has, on the whole, a very washing of the water vibe to it, which, you know, sort of, again, evokes uh, an emotional response um, that maybe I would not otherwise have. Now, one of the things that really struck me about this, and again, there's there, there's a lot here that I sort of generally respond to and like, but I I found myself you know, a couple of the highlights here, and and one that I really responded to, and I can't while I'm listening to it and thoroughly enjoying myself, all I can think of is, would Paul hate this? Can you guess which song that is? <laughs> 
No, I cannot. It's such a long production, but humor me. It is track five, The Time of the Turning Reprise and The Weaver's Reel. It has what we would consider, I guess, traditional um, <laughs> music. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a reel. It's, it's an actual reel, and it makes me want to get up and dance myself. Um, I, I just, I find, I find that to be really really moving i think the 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 female vocalist on there is so her it's so beautiful and then when you get the mandolin in there and and so here again you've got all these different tones and textures um within the music and it just it works beautifully and and so like i said for me i absolutely love it and i get you know, excited by it, but I'm always wondering if Paul would absolutely hate it. And the other highlights that I've already sort of mentioned are the the two that feature Elizabeth Fraser and Paul Buchanan, which is Downside Up and Make Tomorrow. So Downside Up, we had come across last episode when we did New Blood. And at that point, I had never listened to this record. And so the only version I knew was the orchestral version that is sung by Melanie Gabriel, which is absolutely 100% delightful. And it, it was, you know, it was the one case where, with regards to the orchestral versions on New Blood, I I was coming at that as the as the 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 original or the source version, if you will, and and I loved it so much, I was mm-hmm. not certain how I would feel about this, and I find this version to be absolutely delightful. So the way that the guitar holds sort of the the main musical melody is just delightful um, mm-hmm. compared to the way that it's done in the orchestral version. And, and again, Elizabeth and Paul vocally are so good, so and good. and I think they they play off each other very very well. I think they have just the the perfect vocal um, timbres for this this particular song. Mm-hmm. And then, like in the middle part, when you have the piano and acoustic guitar sort of come in, and then there's some sort of orchestration underneath it. And quite frankly, I, in the time that I've had, I have not been able to tease out what exactly it is, whether it's you know strings or horns or whatever the fuck it is. It doesn't really matter. It's it's just absolutely delightful. And so there there are so many textures to to this song that in some ways it it almost enhances the orchestral version that we love so much but it it's it's a different beast altogether and i i just i was so excited when i heard this and i'm like oh this is this is definitely worthy this is great i love it it's just as good in in this um version as it is in the orchestral one and then um and then the the you know you get the same vocal duo in in Make Tomorrow, which is kind of like this big, grandiose song, and and the music again, it's it's just beautiful, and and the vocals are just drool worthy, um, and, and and I it has a really powerful sort of message as well. So it's got like all the best parts of Peter Gabriel rolled up into this one gamish, absolutely delightful. 
I have to agree uh, that that's quite possibly the, the best track on here, and it's hard to pick favorites. Pure vocal production uh, alone gets us there. Now, now, thinking of the, the male and the female voices and the contrast with um, Richie Havens and Peter himself coming in here, uh, it reminded me of a more recent album, but I was just wondering, um, since the progressive palaver got its name from the dark tower and we love the tribute to the dark tower done by martin schnella and melanie mao called yep. flaming row i was just curious when they put that together with a multitude of vocalists and captured the storylines there uh, had had they heard this that's an interesting question uh i i i, I think it's a nice progression to consider this and then take a listen to Flaming Row for anyone who's who's curious and who has not uh, heard it. Um, I I I just love the concept. It's it's easy to take something as diverse as this and to turn it into chaos. Yeah, but this is clearly an example of doing it well. Yeah, I avoided this album for, and it's funny how how actively I avoided it and, and how much I am just in love with it now. So I plan on, on listening to this, um, you know, quite a bit more and hopefully discovering more, but you know, for the purposes of this discussion, you know, I, I, I had enough enthusiasm that it, it made it worthwhile for me, even though as recently as, you know, two days ago, I had no plans to discuss this. When you and I floated this idea over the weekend, we were going to do Birdie and Passion. Like, you wanted to do Birdie. I said, well, let's do Passion too. And, <laughs> and, and then when I, was, when I was driving to Austin last night is when I fired off the, uh, the, the text message of, you know, forget Passion. Listen to Ovo. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> it is great. Thank you. It was just, it was, it was so striking and I wanted, you know, I, 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 I didn't think you would have as much time to listen to it as, as I had at that point, but I did want to at least gauge if my enthusiasm was over, oversold or reasonable. So I'm glad that you seem to be in general agreement with, with my level of enthusiasm. Oh, it's a, it's a wonderful listen and it's, it, production is just top-notch uh, and, and 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 frankly i bet the next one long walk home music from the rabbit proof fence is probably pretty impressive as well we just didn't get quite there so maybe um maybe we'll keep our eyes out for that ken and like i said next time we have a, a space in the schedule where we have a palaver for two if uh, if that has percolated to the top of the list and is deemed worthy we'll talk about it if if our palaver members keep running off to places like Colorado and, <laughs> and whatnot, <laughs> right, right, we may, we may indeed, yeah. So you know that'll be great. But that's really all I have to say right now on these three soundtrack albums. I, I think you know if if we're we're doing this sort of after the fact, but they seem to fit into the, the the general Peter Gabriel catalog in, in a way that makes a certain amount of sense. 
It doesn't seem contrived or anything else. It doesn't seem incongruous to me. And um, yeah, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad that that we have you know more Peter Gabriel music to consider in slightly different perspectives than we would normally get. So it just you know it's it's icing on the cake, as it were. Scrumptious. I'm 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 very satisfied. Awesome. Well, Ken, I, I appreciate you and I making a little bit of lemonade here and having a little palaver side trip um, while we're in the midst of recording episodes on other things. But this was this was time well spent, very fun, and I'm glad, you know, as always, that we went back and considered this. So thank you for the idea and thank you for the time here this evening. Fantastic. enjoyed this episode of progressive palaver as always we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and we look forward to your thoughts comments feedback and questions you can reach us on instagram facebook or twitter we are at progpala on all of those or search for progressive palaver you're welcome to email us our email address is progpala that's p-r-o-g-p-a-l-a at gmail.com progressive palaver is available for subscription and download on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify pandora or presumably wherever you find your podcast and we are as always hosted on soundcloud so until next time thanks for listening <laughs>